0: Add my welcome to Tim. Uh, my name is Brian, uh, you probably heard that quite a few times already, and I'm a church worker here at uh, Slack. So, um, before we begin, why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the one who flung stars into space, and yet you are the one who reached down to rescue us through the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray now that uh, you would help us to uh, listen to you, listen to your son. Uh, Please open our hearts, uh, and may you change us by your spirit. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Now, when I was a church worker uh, in England, I was a church worker in England for a year, Uh, one of my main responsibilities was to look after the under fives on a Sunday morning. And it was quite fun. You know, you have over 20 kids that will come into the church center, all wide-eyed as they gather round the toy house which is on my lap. Uh, and they're supposed to wake up Mr. Pip. Uh, Mr. Pip is this toy parrot uh, who sleeps sleeps in the house, and uh, he tells Bible stories to them. Then there's also the brilliant action line, uh, Sleeping Bunnies. I don't know if you know it. Uh, All you have to do is you sing to the kids to get them to curl up and lie down very very still on the floor. And then what happens after that is that uh, you sing the next uh, uh, verse uh, to get them to wake up. But it's very useful when you need a breather and you just let them sleep on the floor for a little bit. And of course, uh, there are other very catchy songs as well. Uh, We sung quite a few from an album, what you believe it is called Unreal Banana Peel. Uh, We've got a few Australians here, so they'll tell me that apparently it's an Australian way of saying awesome. Is that true? (laughs) Uh, But there's a song in that album which I grew quite fond of, uh, and it's called uh, "Good or Bad, and I'm hoping that Marianne is still okay to sing it to us. Uh, You don't want to hear me sing, so that's why I'm getting Marianne to sing. That's how Ryan gets back at me when I've been mean to him in the week. He makes me sing Sunday school songs. more pleasant on your ears, isn't it? (laughs) Now, the first part of the song is very easy to identify with, isn't it? Uh, In fact, it's so self-evident to us that uh, we think only a children's song uh, would feel the need to point it out. Sometimes, good things happen. Now, on the world stage, uh, we recently had that dramatic rescue of the Chilean miners. And how can you not be moved? when the oldest minor falls to his knees and he cries out to heaven, I have come back to life. And maybe things are going well for you right now. You're satisfied with your job, you've got good friends, uh, you're at a happy place in your life. And sometimes bad things happen. Uh, This week in Sarawak, we had that express boat tragedy. And how can you not be moved when a family member, you know, with tears streaming down her face, cries out to heaven, Why did this happen to my family? Why this time? Why us? And maybe things are not going so well for you right now. You hate your job. You're struggling for friends. And you desperately want to move on from this place in your life. And you struggle to sing the rest of the song, can't it? You know, good or bad, happy or sad, I know that God is there. Really? Uh, I know, I know, I come to church and that's what the preacher tells me week after week. And yet, I struggle to glimpse God in the bad and even in the good. You know, I can't see what he's doing. I can't spot his purposes. Kids, you can sing this, but the grown-up world is so much more complicated. Now, Jacob's world is definitely a grown-up world. Uh, We've seen it all in the past few weeks. Uh, Deceit, disharmony, and dysfunction. Treachery, tragedy, and transgression. It's all there. So mommy's pampered boy, having indulged in adult games, is now running for his dear life, seeking out distant relatives he's barely heard of, and he's got nothing. You know, no time to grab the credit card. No time to grab the water bottle and the food rations. No time to even grab that iPod or that depressing playlist on the road trip. And he's frightened. We know he's not the outdoor sea type. And here he is, alone, with the wind howling around him, underneath the vast and lonely night sky, with only stones and thoughts of a vengeful brother for company. Except, he isn't alone. He closes his eyes, And his eyes are open. to God himself standing at the top of the stairway of angels. And God speaks. I am with you, he tells Jacob. I will keep you where you go, he says. And I will not leave you until I have done what is promised you. And that's what we read last week. Sometimes good things happen. You know, it's no surprise now that Jacob has a spring in his step. You know, he's more like his old confident self. He's got daddy's blessing. He's got mummy on his side. I mean, even better, he's got God on his side. When he tricked his father into giving him the blessing earlier in this story, uh, he tells Isaac, the Lord your God gave me success. And it certainly looks that way as we look at the first 14 verses of chapter 29. So uh, if you close your Bible, it would be great if you could open up your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 29 and follow with me. Now, Jacob could easily have gotten lost, but he comes to the right place. That's verse 1. And better still, he comes across some of the locals. That's verses 2 to 4. And it turns out that the locals know his uncle even better. Verse 5. Let me just read verse 5 to you. Uh, Jacob said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they, the shepherd, said, We know him. And then, who turns up? Verse 6. It's his uncle's daughter himself. Now, it might not be the right time for the livestock to be gathered together. Verse 7. But it's certainly the right time for Jacob. And this girl is a real knockout. Now you might remember that when Isaac had, uh, that Isaac had basically told Jacob as he sent him on his way. He said, uh, young man, don't go marrying any of those Canaanite women, okay? Instead, go and sweep one of the ladies of your uncle's household off her feet instead. And now, Jacob, upon seeing Rachel, is thinking... Yes, Debbie, I'm more than happy to follow your orders now. So in verse 7, he's employing some uh, delaying tactics while he waits for Rachel to arrive. And then it's time for action. So that's verse 10. Uh, Jacob, he puffs up his chest, he flexes the muscles a little, and then he strides over to the well, and in an amazing show of manliness, he rolls the stone away. And then, he turns on the charm. You know, he waters the flock. And then, he kisses her. Uh, he even weeps aloud. You know, have to show the sensitive side. So. Now, all this is earning him brownie points with Laban, uh, who is the guy that really matters. And the narrator makes that clear to us. Uh, look again at verse 10. It says there, that this is Rachel... Laban's daughter. This is the sheep of Laban. This is the flock of Laban. And so Jacob's actions are designed to win him favor with his new favorite uncle. Verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embrace him, and kiss him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. Oh, uncle, uh, your daughter is is so gorgeous, you know. Uh, Must be a result of the gene pool, right? And the sheep, it's really healthy, you know, really top quality one. Must be a result of brilliant management. And so, of course, Uncle Laban is very happy. And he responds, you are my bone and my flesh. And the result, a roof over Jacob's head. Everything is going brilliantly well. Sometimes good things happen. God is there. It's clear, isn't it, that God is with Jacob? Now God has provided. And he has acted on his promises, as he said he would. We've seen this time and again in the story of Jacob. Now, everything's good, just like the rescue of those Chilean miners, just like some of your lives right now. Or is it? Uh, perhaps you shouldn't get too carried away just yet. Remember who we're talking about. Jacob, the trickster. Jacob, the sinner. Now as we listen to this story, the narrator wants us to remember an earlier episode also involving women, and wells, and yes, Laban. Now back in chapter 24, Abraham sends out his servant to find a bride for his son Isaac, that's Jacob's dad. And the servant asks, Boss, uh, you know maybe your future daughter-in-law might be very difficult and wants your son to go with her instead. Uh, can or not? To which Abraham replies, Never better no wedding than to have the chosen heir live outside the promised land. Now come back to this story, and uh, where is this particular chosen heir? He says, a fugitive outside the promised land. Why? Now you might remember this all came about from his own hand. It's the hand that put on Esau's garments. It's the hand that fed his father's steel. And it's the hand that eagerly and illegally snatched away the blessing from Esau. And so in stark comparison to the servant, uh, who comes armed with all sorts of lavish gifts to this very same land, uh, Jacob arrives with nothing. Nothing in his hand now there's a reason why Laban comes rushing out as soon as he hears that one of those distant relatives have arrived you see the last time that happened in chapter 24 he got all sorts of presents but not this time Uh, instead all he gets is an extra mouth to feed and that's why Jacob is so keen to get into Laban's good books from the very moment Jacob arrives He is at the mercy of Laban. But Jacob has forgotten that he is really at the mercy of God. God is there, but you wouldn't know it from Jacob's behavior. In chapter 24, one of the things that marks out uh, Abraham's servant is his humility and prayerfulness before God. He asks for God's guidance in leading him to the right woman and gives thanks for his faithfulness. Jacob, on the other hand, is pouring out his requests and gratitude to Laban. For Jacob, the God who appeared to him in darkness, has now disappeared from view in high day. You see, Jacob hasn't really changed. He's still the cocky brat who's all too ready to tell the, those experienced shepherds how to, tell, uh, how to do their job. Now, the reality is, he's the one with no job. He is completely dependent on Laban. And he is still brightless. You know, Abraham's servant successfully secures a marriage for Isaac at the well. But there's no hint of that for Jacob here. Now, sometimes good things happen. God is there. He is there as he graciously provides for Jacob to meet and be welcomed by his extended family. But he is also there in allowing the knock-on effects of his sin to run on in his life so that he arrives at Laban penniless and powerless. God has chosen people like Jacob but he does not desire people like Jacob. God is too good to leave us where we are and that is why he allows both providence and consequence to go together. Now there's a simple poem, thought to be written by W. H. Auden, that goes like this. I love to sin, God loves to forgive, the world is admirably arranged. But actually, that's not quite how God arranges the world. You see, the God who arranges Rachel's meeting, or rather Jacob's meeting with the shepherds and Rachel, is the same God who arranges the world that our actions have consequences. And Jacob's world is our world too. You see, Christians are those who have been chosen. Christians are those who are inheritors of the promises. Now all this is found in the grace at the cross of Christ. See, God is so good, He has given us everything, you know, forgiveness, justification, reconciliation with God, cleansing, a new identity, a new family, the, the list goes on and on. He's not a cruel puppet master who toys around with us, but He is a loving father, Who wants to provide us with good things. So we can even thank him for the little things like good weather or good traffic. But God preserves the hardships and the tragedies in our life too. You see, he knows the things that hurt us. And the ways we hurt ourselves and hurt others in our sin. So he wants to change us. He wants us to realize that the worst thing that could ever happen to us is our sin, which brings about God's wrath and brokenness to this world. And he wants us to realize that the best thing that could happen to us is God himself. He wants hope for us to be an active verb. That is, to turn from putting our hope in the good things we enjoy, to putting our hope in Him. Now, the question is, whether things are looking up or not for you right now? Are you looking up to God and thanking Him? Are you allowing Him to change you? Are you being governed by the Gospel? instead of your own plans. God is there to remind us that it is Him who is the ultimate good. Now, let's move on to the second part of our story in verses 15 to 35. And there, we find that sometimes bad things happen. You know, Jacob's now ready to take complete charge of his life. You know, we've already seen his brashness in his dealings with the shepherds, his swiftness in dealing with Rachel, and his craftiness in his dealings with Laban. Now, he's going to sort things out, except that Jacob, tragically, has completely misunderstood, underestimated rather, Laban. We're about to meet. Jacob's match. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban sounds like a generous uncle here, doesn't he? You know, he's offering compensation for Jacob's work. But the narrator offers us insight into Jacob's true motives. That's verses 16 to 18. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. So that's Leah, who's got... Weak eyes. Now, we don't exactly know uh, what that means. Maybe uh, she looks like me when I take my glasses off and my eyes shrink by about 90%. But in any case, she's meant to be contrasted unfavorably with Rachel. Rachel, what a girl. See, Jacob is absolutely in love with her. You know, she's the one that gives him sleepless nights. Uh, and an increased heartbeat, uh, nervous laughter, all those things. And in the month that Jacob's been with them, uh, Laban could not have missed those sidelong glances, the playful punches, the non-stop chatter about Rachel. And his mind begins to work. You see, this is a guy who's strong enough to move that huge stone. And he's got no current means, to support himself. This is definitely an asset to acquire. And Laban plays his cards completely right. As he expected, Jacob's salary request is Rachel herself. And lovesick sick Jacob's offer is exorbitant. You see, it's around four to five times more than what you normally pay for the bride price. In that culture. And Laban very happily agrees. Or does he? Verse 19 Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Who is this her? You wonder. But Jacob is a fool in love, verse 20, and so he happily serves that seven-year bond. And finally, the wedding day arrives. Now, our English translations, unfortunately, don't quite capture just how completely consumed Jacob is with Rachel. You see, in verse 21, what he's basically saying is, Give me my wife, because I want to have sex with her. And not surprisingly, many Jewish commentators have found this verse utterly shocking because it goes so fundamentally against what would be expected behavior. But the soap opera gets even better. So at night, now you've got the heavily veiled bride. He's brought into Jacob's presence uh, after Jacob probably had quite a few drinks after the wedding feast. Now, at this point, you are shouting at the TV now. You're going, No, Jacob, no, 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 no. But Jacob doesn't hear you. See, right now, he's smiling at his bride as they go to bed and sighing, Ah, Rachel. Before you know it, it's the next morning. He climbs out of bed and, Ah, Leon! bad things happen. (laughs) Now, not surprisingly, Jacob heads straight for Laban and notice his choice of words. So, verse 25. Why have you deceived me? Now, Laban holds up his hands and offers an excuse that sounds like it could come from my mum. He says, you know, we're all about Eastern values here, not Western. Oldest comes first. Now, we know very well that that's a weak excuse. But hang on. There's a feeling of deja vu here. You see, maybe, for the first time, Jacob begins to understand a little bit of what's really happening. In a delicious irony, Laban is doing to him exactly what he did to his father. He has out-Jacob, Jacob. Now Think about it. You know, Isaac had reached down to touch somebody who wasn't whom he thought he was. And Jacob also reached down to touch somebody who wasn't whom he thought she was. Why have you deceived me? Jacob asked. But in so doing, Jacob has condemned himself. And we begin to see that even though he hasn't made so much as a cameo appearance yet, God is there. Sometimes bad things happen, but God is there. You see, God is behind this. He's starting to break Jacob, to discipline the one that he loves. Jacob now knows what it's like to be deceived and to be exploited. Jacob knows what it's like to be sinned against. Now, he's used to being the guy in charge through his scheming and manipulating. But when you read through this section again later, in your own time, uh, notice how the narrator emphasizes the service that Jacob has to provide to Laban. Jacob, the chosen one. Jacob, the sinner, is having to learn humility. After all, his own plans fail. You know, he lands himself with another lopsided seven-year contract. And his grand plan to marry the love of his life is now reduced to a life of sharing a marriage bed. As for escaping his own messed up family heritage, well, he repeats the mistakes of his previous generation, doesn't he? Verse 30, he loves Rachel more than Leah. Favoritism rears its ugly head again. And remember, Jacob's world is our world too. Jacob's God is our God. Sometimes bad things happen. God is there. But He's not there necessarily to make the bad things go away. But He uses them instead to transform us to be more and more like Christ. And that involves pain, and discipline you know it's painful isn't it to get rid of that uh, particular sin that we know displeases God but which brings us so much pleasure you know have you ever prayed like this God please change me oh but but maybe not that one don't change that God please change me Ah, uh, but, but not right now. Or oh God, can you please at least make it uh, not painful? God, if that's not your will, but please, please, please make it your will. I know I have. Or oh, we could fall into the tra- trap of bargaining that we saw last week. You know, God if you allow this to happen I will become more active in church but Jacob is in no position to bargain he is starting to see the very sinfulness of sin God is doing this for his good and God is doing this for our good we are not always sure about that But the writer to the Hebrews in our New Testament reading uh, sees it differently. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Sometimes bad things happen, but God is there to remind us that He is ultimately conforming us to the image of His Son. Now let's switch perspectives for a second to Leah. We've had Laban's plot, now we have Leah's plight. And in many ways, she is to be the most pitied of all the characters. You know, she's the one with the weak eyes, verse 17. She's the less loved one, verse 30. In fact, she's even described as the hated one, verse 31. To Laban, she's capital. But that's it. And in verses 31 to 35, the narrator now shines the spotlight on her. It's like she has the stage to herself. And her isolation is highlighted by her solitary musings. See, she's the forgotten one. But God does not forget. The Lord sees, and graciously He opens her womb. And each time Leah bears a son, she chooses a Hebrew word for a name that expresses her heart. Each time she focuses on what the Lord has done for her. But more than that, she expresses her forlorn hope that maybe, just maybe, her husband will come to love her. So, as she names her first son Reuben, which means see, a son, you can hear her thinking ah, maybe Jacob will finally notice me. When she names Simeon, which comes from the word to hear, you can hear her hoping, maybe Jacob will finally listen to me. And when Levi comes along, you can actually listen in on her longings. Now this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. You see, Leah knows bad things have happened in her life. And she's looking for a savior. But though she knows God is there, right now her savior is Jacob. You know, if I can be a good wife, if I can bear him children, you know, if I can just somehow make myself more appealing, then maybe just maybe Jacob will love me and all will be right with the world again all will be right with me again you know, I'll be worth something no longer just Rachel's ugly sister and that's us too isn't it you know it's very easy for us to turn something good into God You know, we think if I get that job, that promotion, that result, that guy, that girl, that family, that stamp of approval, that clean bill of health, that accomplishment, that change of government, whatever it is, that will complete us. Uh, We might even bring God into the picture, like Leah, but leave Him in the background, just like Leah does. You know, we think. If that happens, I will be loved. I will be fulfilled. Except, it doesn't. It's not wrong to be thankful, to be happy, if you know you've got a good job, or if that relationship is going well, or if you are on your way to achieving your life goals. At the very least, it makes for a good night's sleep. But when you wake up in the morning, you know, you'll discover that it will never, ever, fully satisfy. What will then? Well, look at Leah again. Verse 35. The fourth child comes along, and he's called Judah, which means praise. This time, I will praise the Lord. This time, it's different. This time, I refuse to give my heart to someone other than God. Now, by no means is Leah perfect yet, and we'll see that very clearly a little later. But at this point, she is struggling, really struggling, to believe with all her might that God is there. Just like for us, we struggle see that Jesus is really all satisfying you know it's that moment when our friends invite us to do something which we know is not God's way and we think you know Jesus are you really worth me saying no to this uh, it's that time at night when you reflect on how tough the day's been and you think Jesus why do you have to be in charge and once you look around at how well the bad guys are doing and you're thinking Jesus are you truly good and just and Leah teaches us here sometimes bad things happen but God is there too and he's worth it so as we read the final part of our passage today uh, chapter 30 I hope it's clear by now that good or bad happy or sad we know that God is there and let's face it right now it's bad and sad bright walls birth walls it's all there in chapter 30 you know Rachel upon seeing um, Leah's fruitfulness has a fit now give me children or I shall die so Buha is sent as a substitute, and gives Jacob another two children, and that satisfies Rachel for now. But not Leah. She's shown good sense earlier on, but now she slips back into her old ways. Anything you can do, I can do better. So Leah sends her old servant to give Jacob yet another two children. And to rub salt into the womb, she names them Gad and Asher. Which means, what good fortune and women will call me happy. So basically she's laughing at Rachel. She's the winner for once. She suffered for years as the ugly duckling. So revenge is sweet. And then some time passes. Uh, we know that because in verse 14 we discover that Reuben has grown up a little bit. But the war isn't over yet. In fact, at this point it's almost comical. You see, Rachel is desperate. So so desperate that when little Reuben comes back one day with some, some mandrakes for Leah, Rachel is quick to strike a bargain. Uh, the mandrakes are literally love fruits, so they are like the Viagra of the day. Now, Rachel wants children and Leah wants affirmation. Uh, so they strike a deal and Rachel gets those mandrakes uh, in exchange for Leah getting to spend one night with Jacob. Think at how bad their family life has gotten, I mean, well, just imagine being a little woman growing up in such a household. In fact, notice just how much Leah and Rachel actually resemble their father. You see, just as their father had treated them as mere property, so they now treat Jacob and even Reuben as nothing more but bargaining items. So, verse 16, you know, Leah goes out to meet Jacob and says, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. You want to know how ugly sin is? Just spend some time with this family. And so far all we've seen is the bad and sad But they are also beginning to be hints of the good and happy. Uh, Jacob, obviously, isn't exactly being the godly leader of the household at this point. Uh, And this is clear from his reduced role in the narrative, Uh, it's all about the desperate housewives at this point. And the only time he speaks in verse 2 is from a position of anger and irresponsibility so he lashes out at Rachel without offering any substance but it is what he says that is also significant so chapter 30 verse 2 Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb Jacob is speaking more than he knows you see he's right isn't he it's God and God alone who can do something about the situation. Uh, Jacob might not know it yet. But maybe, just maybe, very slowly, he is beginning to change. And it's God who once again opens Leah's womb. And Leah, rightly or wrongly, is also beginning to feel Satisfied. uh, That's reflected in the way she names her children. God has rewarded her as far as she is concerned. And the mandates, well, they don't do a thing for Rachel because she's still barren for a while yet. But God does something for her. And He gives her a child, Jacob. They are finally beginning to be hints of happiness for the wise. And all this comes about because of God's extraordinary mercy. You see, good or bad, happy or sad, God is there. You know, these sordid tales of jealous wives and obscure baby names, believe it or not, is actually the climax of this passage. You see, God is there to bring about his good purposes. For out of these sons will eventually come the 12 tribes of Israel. Out of just about the most sinful family you can ever imagine, he brings about the nation that is going to bring blessing to this world. Now if you are Israel and you are listening to Moses tell this story at this point, there is no way you are going to boast about your distinguished family tree. I mean, what are people going to think when they hear that you were brought about simply because you had two sisters competing to see who had more babies? And perhaps this gives us new eyes from which to see the genealogies of the Bible as well. You know, when you read the first two verses of Matthew, it says that the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Out of Leah's womb, from the one whom she praises God for, will eventually come the Savior. And it is those sons whose names will be inscribed On the walls of the New Jerusalem at the end of time. God has chosen what is foolish to shame the wise. And whenever we're tempted to be ashamed to be a Christian, remember this. Sometimes good things happen, sometimes bad things happen. What is God doing? What's his purpose? Is he hiding? No! He is there as the good God who will graciously order all things by his sovereign will. He is the God who will discipline us as his children to bring us to maturity. And he is the God who is able and ready to keep his promises. Good or bad? Happy or sad? I know that God is there. There to work out His purposes for our good and for His glory. This isn't just a kid's song. It's the song of the redeemed as they journey on to become more and more like their Redeemer. God is here right now, so let's pray to Him. Heavenly Father, uh, as we look at this story of Jacob, we are confronted once again by just how ugly, how terrible our sin is. And we confess, though it is easy to see in Jacob, sometimes it is hard to see in us. But Lord, uh, we know that we are just as sinful. Father, we just pray that uh, we would hang on to the cross of Christ. Thank you so much for Jesus uh, who forgives us if we trust in Him. And Father, we pray that as Your children we would accept Your discipline and we would be ready to allow You to change us that we might become more and more like Your Son. And we pray, Lord, uh, that You would help us uh, to know that this is all for Your good purposes and that we do everything to Your glory. Uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen.